into the word today. Yeah, a couple people, some people are still waking up this morning. Who is ready to get into the word? There we go. Yes, you get excited about that. Pull out your Bibles, pull out your notebooks. Let's get started here this morning. Now, today's message is called Anointed. And in the Old Testament, throughout the Old Testament, we see that people use oil to anoint others. And it's a symbolic act that is designating a person for a particular role, like a priest, for example, or a king. What's happening is they are setting these people apart for use by God. And this is also the moment when God usually comes on them, the Holy Spirit comes on them and empowers them as they step into this new position. We are going to be hanging out in 1 Samuel today. So go ahead and head there in your Bibles. And this book, yes, the entire book, we're going to be looking at multiple chapters. It talks about two different guys. All right, these men were both set apart by God to lead the nation of Israel. One was Israel's last judge, that's Samuel, and one was Israel's first king, and that is Saul. We're going to see what happens in their stories today. Now, in this moment, this transition moment, we had this period of time when judges were leading the nation, and God raised up judges during this time to be military leaders, administrative leaders, and this is what Samuel was. Okay, he was a judge. He was also a prophet. The Lord spoke through him regularly to the nation of Israel so that they could receive his message. And Israel, what happened is Samuel led for a long time, and he was amazing, all right? He led with character. He was great at what he did. The people loved him. But Samuel got old, as we do in life. And it was time to retire. But there was nobody coming up behind him that was worthy of taking that place. His sons were corrupt, and the people were tired of it. And they said, hey, give us a king. So they asked for a king to rule them. And God tells Samuel to then anoint Saul as king. Now, as we're looking at these stories, we're also trying to understand how can we take something away from this message? And even though somebody is not standing here and pouring oil over our heads, and we will not be doing that at the end of service for everyone, if you're wondering, we, as Christians, all of us are set apart by God, and so in fact, he has anointed you. He has appointed you and empowered you to fulfill a very specific purpose here on earth. In 2 Corinthians 1, verse 21, it says, Now it is God who makes us both, both us and you, stand firm in Christ. He anointed us. He set his seal of ownership on us. He put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. God's spirit is in us. 
He has appointed you for this time in history to fulfill his mission here on earth. And so we are reading about anointed men while we ourselves are anointed as well. So how can we learn to walk in that anointing to fulfill this calling in an effective way? So we're going to see really these two guys, they, they made different choices, okay? They, their lives represent two different paths that we can take. So we're going to see what both of them do in every situation. This first one, we see very clearly that Samuel was faithful and earned God's favor, while Saul was disobedient and ended up being rejected by God. We often, when we have these two, obviously one is a little better than the other as far as which path we should take. But today, as we're looking at these guys, let's not say, hey, I'm going to be the hero, not the villain. Nobody's a hero or a villain in these stories. They are regular men. We are regular people. I want to challenge you to see yourself in Saul, but still with time to make choices like Samuel. That way we can get the most out of this today. So let's start out in chapter 3, verse 19. The Lord was with Samuel as he grew up, and he let none of Samuel's words fall to the ground. And all Israel from Dan to Beersheba recognized that Samuel was attested as a prophet of the Lord. The Lord continued to appear at Shiloh, and there he revealed to himself to Samuel through his word. Now Samuel, he led Israel from the time that he was young all the way until he was an old man. And he allowed the Lord to speak through him again and again. This was a regular practice for him. And then we, we already recognize that he at one point retires, and in his farewell speech to the people, he also gives them a chance to speak up. And he says, hey, have I ever cheated you or taken a bribe? And they're like, no, 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 you didn't. They, they confirm to Samuel that he led with character all of his days, and that is important. Not only did he lead with example, he often urged the people to give up their idols and all their rebellious ways, and then to turn back to God and be obedient to him again. So he showed the way, and he also tried to teach others and disciple them and bring them along as well. Now, unfortunately, Saul has a few more negative accounts in his biblical debut than positive ones. He makes some foolish decisions that in the end almost cost him his men and his army, almost cost him his son. We see that he is clearly disobedient more than one time. And you would think that after he has this moment when God's like, hey, you disobeyed me, now it's affecting your kingdom, okay? I'm upset, I'm finding somebody else to take your place. 
that has already happened. You'd think that somebody would get the hint and change their ways, but Saul, he's kind of in his own little world. And there's this moment when he is supposed to, he has been instructed to wipe out the Amalekites and leave no survivors. All right, and this is, he's used to being in battle and he's used to these moments when the Lord gives him instructions and he's supposed to carry something out. And yet what happens is when he goes to complete this mission is that both him and his men, they bring back the king, King Agag. But not only that, they bring back all of the best livestock, the cattle, the sheep, the goats. And Samuel calls him out on it. <clears throat> But Saul is not remorseful, all right? He's like, hey, bro, did you see what we did? This is so awesome. <laughs> and Samuel, he pulls a Mufasa at this point. You deliberately disobeyed me. Not really him, but God. You deliberately disobeyed God. And Saul replies, <clears throat> chapter 15, verse 20. But I did obey the Lord, Saul said. I went on the mission that the Lord assigned me. I completely destroyed the Amalekites. You know, all I did was bring back Agag, their king, and the soldiers took sheep and cattle from the plunder, the best of what was devoted to God in order to sacrifice them to the Lord, your God at Gilgal. I did obey him. I destroyed everything and everyone except, you know, the king. Everything except only the best. But listen, I'm going to sacrifice them to the Lord, okay? That's why I brought them back. Saul's so making excuses. I completed most of the mission. What's the big deal? Listen, you don't have to be a scholar or even a parent to recognize the immaturity here. Come on! Did you see what I did? <clears throat> Saul. We all know, we've heard it time and time again, that partial obedience is disobedience. This is a prime example of this. But also, let's look what else Saul does. He says that he took the livestock in order to sacrifice them to the Lord. If you actually read these chapters, and I encourage you to do that because there's a lot in here, and get all the nitty-gritty details and see where I'm coming from. All right, the Bible says that they actually took everything that appealed to them and only destroyed what was already of poor quality or what they deemed worthless. So Saul manipulates his greedy choice to satisfy his own desires, and then he tries to make it seem like that is a spiritual decision. God's not the one that wanted the best sheep and cattle. Saul did. But don't we do the same thing? We manipulate our desires and try to make it seem like that's God's desire for us. Or maybe we actually realize that we're disobedient, but we're trying to cover our butts. 
And we try to convince those around us, or more likely, we're trying to convince ourselves that we're still in the right. You know, if I stay at this job, well, now I can pay more tithe to the church. And that's a good thing. All right. Tithing isn't a number, P.S. It's about the heart, so you can tithe in any job that you have. The reality is that God didn't ask you to take that high-paying job. You wanted it. God actually called you to be a teacher so that you could shape young minds and that you could be an outlet to those that come from a a difficult living situation. That's what God called you to do. So why are you in this job? You know what? Yeah, I'm dating this girl, but listen, I'm dating her because with that close relationship, I can lead her to the Lord. That's hitting some people today. (laughs) Yeah. God cares about her salvation. That's his daughter. But he asked you to guard your heart and to not get involved that deeply with somebody who doesn't also believe in Jesus the same way that you do. God doesn't care if it's an excuse or if it's a good intention. He cares that you didn't obey him. And back to chapter 15. After all of this happens, then the word of the Lord came to Samuel. And this is God speaking to him. I regret that I have made Saul king because he turned away from me and has not carried out my instructions. Samuel was angry and he cried out to the Lord all night. Samuel understood the gravity of these words. That's why he was crying out all night long and he's praying. He's saying, God, no, what are you saying? God rejected Saul in that moment. And we read that soon. He straight up says, I reject Saul as king. And when he does that, he also takes his spirit from him. And Samuel understands what that means, what he has lost. Saul apparently is still clueless in this moment. You know what else they do that's similar But it's very distinct. Samuel, he was successful because he followed the Lord's lead. Saul, he threw it all away by trying to do it himself. Now, Samuel, he often prayed and asked the Lord to intervene in situations. We just saw that. He saw God do incredible miracles, saving Israel from the Philistines in his lifetime And his time of being the judge, also when Saul was king, God spoke through him to his people. So it makes sense to us that Samuel would be used to hear from the Lord, to convey his messages. We get that. But we also read in here that he goes to the Lord for guidance. 
For example, when the people wanted a king in the first place, he asks God what he should do. He didn't come to this decision on his own. He didn't say, okay, I hear you. I hear what all of you are saying. That makes sense. Let's go ahead. No, he goes to God, and God is the one who told him, yes, I will provide a king. God is the one who, who tells him exactly who it is. Then God is the one who tells him when to anoint Saul. Samuel, what he does is he makes it a pattern to hear from God and then act. And we see that throughout his entire life. Hear from God and then act. Saul, not so much. Now, I got to give it to him. He does have his moments when he is led by the Lord. All right? He's not all bad, but that just makes him even more relatable. All right? He's not the villain. There's multiple times when we see that God's spirit came on him. He prophesies. He wins battles with the Lord's help. And it's because of that military success that the Philistines, they're upset about all of the men that they're losing that are dying at the hands of the Israelites. And now they want to take them out. And so that's when they come back and they gather all their men. And at this point, Saul was supposed to wait for Samuel Okay, they're getting ready for battle. Saul has gathered his troops, which is a lot less than all the Philistines over here who are ready. They're just itching to get started and kill some guys. And Saul's supposed to wait for Samuel, all right, for seven days. And he's supposed to meet them to burn the sacrifices to the Lord. Samuel is supposed to. But dearest Sam takes his sweet time, all right, Saul's like, Samuel, where are you? He sees that every day that they're waiting, his guys are looking up at all these big, all the enemy on the other side. There's so many of them, and they're sitting there every day just waiting and thinking all the thoughts, and maybe if I just... I have time to get away. I don't have to get in the middle of this battle, which shall surely lead to death. All right, so now Saul's army is disappearing every day. It's getting smaller and smaller. And so Saul, he makes an executive decision as the leader of the army. And he goes ahead and he sacrifices the animals himself to the Lord. And right then Samuel shows up. I don't know, we got to give it to Saul that this makes logical sense. We're losing momentum here. We're literally losing men. This is a very urgent matter. I'm trying to protect the nation. Somebody, I waited. Somebody didn't show up. I'm just going to go ahead and move forward. However, he was instructed to wait. And how many of us do that? That God has asked us to do something specific. Or maybe he's promised us something. But we're not happy with the wait. And this is interesting because Saul did wait. 
He waited the period of time that he was supposed to. But God doesn't always work according to the timing that we expect. God, can't you see I'm getting older here? There's the biological clock, all right? If I don't get married, I might not be able to have kids. I can't let go of this guy because if I do, he might be my last shot. And I don't want to be alone forever, okay? Lord, you keep telling me to trust you, but I got to put food on the table. If I don't find a job, I can't pay rent. Like I'm accountable to the landlord. And we assess the urgency of the situation and we don't see God working. So we decide to take matters into our own hands. And then often we make decisions based on emotion or some gut feeling or whatever our best friend told us when we were talking to them on the phone. And we end up like so many other people in the Bible. The promise didn't come in the packaging that they expected. And now what happens? We didn't ask before we acted. Now we've created more problems for ourselves. When it would have all been sorted out, if we would have trusted the Lord and waited for him. Saul, what happens in his case, is that he's still going into battle, but now he's lost God's trust. God was going to use him in a lasting and a powerful way, but now God knows that he can't trust Saul. Instead of Saul being led and through that leading others, he's leading by what he thinks is best and it cost him his anointing. We also see there's another nuance in the way that these two lived their lives that Samuel boldly tells the truth. He trusts God to speak through him, but Saul, he doubted his position and he thought that he wasn't fit for the job. Now, Samuel, I don't know if you remember the story of when Samuel first heard from the Lord, all right? He's working in the temple as a young boy under the leadership of Eli, and he's sleeping one night, and he hears someone call him. So then he goes to Eli. It has to be him. I mean, who else is in the temple? So he runs to Eli. Yes, here I am. What do you need? Duh, wasn't me. Go back to sleep. This happens multiple times until Eli finally realizes, hey, if I'm not calling Samuel, it must be the Lord. So he says, Samuel, all right, the next time that happens answer and say, yes, Lord, I'm listening. And so Samuel does that, and it was God. So then God tells him a message, but you, the message 
is all about the judgment that is coming to Eli and his sons and how he's not going, God is not going to forgive them for the sins that they committed. What? Like, first off, does anyone remember the first time that God spoke to you? You like, you learn how to listen to his voice, but it takes some practice before you're confident that it's him because we're asking, oh, is this me? Is this God? And it's through that experience and that practice that then when we hear from him and we speak it out or we do whatever he says, that it confirms in our heart that it actually was the Lord. We see the fruit of that. Samuel doesn't have the ability to do that, all right? He hears one message from the Lord, and then here's what happens. Back in chapter 3. Verse 15, Samuel lay down until morning. He stays in bed throughout the night. All right, then open the doors of the house of the Lord, just like he does all the time. He was afraid to tell Eli the vision, understandably. But Eli called him and said, Samuel, my son. Samuel answered, here I am. What is it he said to you, Eli asked. Do not hide it from me. May God deal with you, be it ever so severely, if you hide from me anything he told you. That is quite motivating to go ahead and tell the truth. And so even if he's not sure, Samuel tells him everything, hiding nothing from him. Then Eli said, he is the Lord. Let him do what is good in his eyes. He's a young boy. He's probably wrestling with, is this really what I just heard? And I don't know if I want to share this with Eli because it's just going to upset him. But when he's asked to share what God said, Samuel spoke with boldness and he didn't sugarcoat it. He didn't give half of the message. He said, this is what God says. This was just the beginning of his journey of intimate conversations with the Lord, of him being used to proclaim bold messages to Israel. After years of experience of doing this over and over again, we aren't surprised towards the end of this book, after Saul messes up, when Samuel goes into his famous obedience is better than sacrifice speech. When he goes and he kills King Agag so he can tie up all the loose ends that Saul created. Samuel cultivated a life of wisdom, of truth, and of boldness right from the very beginning. And it wasn't that he grew into this. It was that he stepped into it from the start and did that every time. Now, Saul, he's a regular guy, okay? When he learns that he's chosen as king, what is he doing? He's chasing after some lost donkeys, all right? Not an exciting job. Somebody's got to do it. And he, he hears that he's supposed to be king, and he's like, what? What? Guys, I'm from the least important family of the smallest tribe. And if you read towards the end of Judges, you find out like the tribe of Benjamin was almost completely wiped out by Israel. Okay? And so there's not that many people left when he says small tribe. 
But we are not surprised that God, not only does he care about forgotten people from forgotten places, but he uses them to do incredible things. We know that. But Saul wasn't so sure. Samuel, he brings all the tribes together, okay? There's going to be an official ceremony so that Saul can be can become king. And Saul, at this point, he already knows everything, all right? He's already had a talk with Samuel. He's actually already been anointed with oil. He's already had an experience when God's spirit came upon him. And it even says that God gave him a new heart. It's almost like he became a new person. He's experienced all of this. The only thing that hasn't happened yet is that we got to tell all the other tribes, But instead, at this moment, instead of proudly waiting for his moment, like graduation, probably waiting for his moment to walk onto the stage and accept the crown, he's doing this. 1 Samuel 10, second half of 21, starting here. All right, they have chosen Saul. They narrowed it down, narrowed it down, narrowed it down. All right, Saul's going to be king. Like, everyone has heard this. But then they looked for him, and he was not to be found. So they inquired further of the Lord. Now, not only can they not find him, they literally can't find him so, like he is nowhere to be seen. They have to ask the Lord, God, can you help us? Because this guy is MIA. And God's like, yes, all right. The Lord said, he has hidden himself among the supplies. Saul was hiding from his moment. He knew he was chosen to be king. The five-minute countdown was on for the coronation service. And instead of getting into position, Saul runs and hides. There was another moment that in one of these stories of Saul disobeying, Samuel is calling him out as he does. He's letting him know that God's rejected him. And Samuel says this. Chapter 15, verse 17, Samuel said, Although you were once small in your own eyes, did you not become the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel. Another version says, although you may think little of yourself, are you not the leader of the tribes of Israel? You have been anointed for this position. When are you going to act like it? For us, it doesn't matter if you come from the least important family, from the smallest town, like nobody's even heard of it, it's so small. It doesn't matter if you feel unqualified or if you're the least educated or equipped in the room. It doesn't matter if you haven't had time to prepare for this moment. Did Samuel have time to gear himself up? 
He was presented with a question, presented with an opportunity to walk in boldness and truth, and he took it. You, we are called by God. We are anointed for this point in time to accomplish what God has put in your heart. You can't be hiding in the supplies. The tribes of Israel are looking to you. But so many of us, we are called to be kings. And yet we think so little of ourselves. We believe like Saul that really we should be searching for runaway donkeys. Let someone else take the responsibility of the throne. Who are we to be used by God? And if we do step out into obedience, you know, there could be somebody else that could do it better. We're walking in fear. Sometimes we don't even realize it. But we pass up opportunities when we are being used by God. Immediately after, what we do is think about all the things that we did wrong instead of celebrating what God did. We're awake at night thinking about how I may not be that valuable to the team We're wondering why we even chose that career path or why we chose to serve in that area of ministry in the first place. And we disqualify ourselves by taking ourselves out of the equation. We undermine our own leadership authority. And it's not that we didn't make the grade. The announcement has been made. You are anointed for this position, but we didn't believe it in our hearts. We're just scared. It's just a matter of time before people figure out that I'm a fraud. We struggle with imposter syndrome. We could have the most experience in the room, but we still feel like we don't know what we're doing. We have to move beyond this idea that we'll get there one day. That day is today. You are there now. What would it look like if all of us confidently walked in that authority that we talked about last week, we walked in this anointing, boldly living out our calling, empowered by the Holy Spirit in all that we did. I'm not excluding myself from this. Because it's true. That even being equipped and being given the opportunity to present the word to you, I still have moments when I'm like, God, did I actually, did you actually use me? Did that actually get to anybody today? 
I don't know, we get overwhelmed in the preparation stage, and then it makes us procrastinate, or we completely avoid, and now we've lost effectiveness because we didn't prepare the way that we were supposed to, and we're paralyzed. And we could have even have said yes. We said yes to the Lord. But the enemy is real. And those doubts start trickling in. And even though I took a step to follow him, and I started reaching towards that calling, and I changed my job, or I started going to school, or I started investing people in this way, then I'm like, I don't know. Am I the best in this situation? Maybe somebody else should do it. Maybe, uh, well, I'll give some and then let somebody else step in. You are the one that is called. You are anointed. What if what we are missing is that none of us are reaching that next level because we are limiting ourselves? We don't think that we can be there. And God's like, it's available to you. What if we weren't afraid when we felt like God asked us to pray for somebody, we weren't afraid to actually walk up to them and pray for them? Is it more important? important that we don't embarrass ourselves, that we might be wrong, or is it more important that that moment might bring someone healing? What would happen if we weren't afraid to raise our hands or jump around or move around the room and worship? What would happen if in our families we weren't afraid to call out what is disobedient and brought? We led our families well into the truth according to God's word instead of just letting them do whatever they want. What would happen if instead of when we have an opportunity to lead, we timidly say, this might be it. And we spoke with boldness. And we were confident in our leadership. Yes, every one of you in this room is a leader. If you are a follower of Christ, you are a leader. We're following him and we're leading others. We're bringing them alongside us. We are making disciples. Sometimes we also don't realize that all three of these areas affect the others. That if I am disobedient to God, of course I'm going to be insecure. Because I don't have that confidence to know that it's actually what God asked me to do. If I, if I start doing things my own way. I don't have that confidence that knowing it's what God asked me to do. But if I believe that I am being obedient and I believe that I'm surrendering things to the Lord, but I am timid and fearful and afraid to be empowered by the Holy Spirit, I'm leaving room for then to step out of opportunities, to be disobedient, to in my timidity, to then start doing things myself to try to fix the situation 
One leads to another. We have to surrender all of them to Christ. Worship team, if you want to join me up here, we have a choice. Who will you be? Will you be like Samuel? Or will you be like Saul? You have been chosen for the job. You need to walk in your anointing with integrity, with boldness. You need to hear God's voice and then obey what he says.